Amen. I'd like to welcome all of our guests today. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are so glad to have you in service with us. And uh, if this is your first or second time with us, I'd like to invite you. Some have already been by there on your way in, but before you leave, if you would stop by our guest area in the back, we have a small token of appreciation we'd like to give you uh, as as thanks for being with us this morning. So if you would be willing to stop by there on your way out, we would love to share that with you. If you're watching us online this morning, wherever you're joining us from, we welcome you as a part of this service today as well and pray that you are blessed by it. Amen. Praise God. And uh, some of you haven't noticed and some of you are curious enough to have noticed and it, few of you probably have the personality type. It's bothering you. So this is a paintbrush. My lapel pen is a paintbrush. So now you know. I was blessed in my basket, my, my gift basket last week for my birthday with a bunch of lapel pens. So I can't quite do the flower thing. I leave that to all the young guys. Praise God. Hallelujah. Anybody thankful that Jesus is here? Amen. John chapter 13. Start reading with verse number one. I believe that God wants to touch somebody here today beyond what's already happened this morning. In Jesus' name. John 13, starting with verse number one. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world, unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And then skipping down to verse number 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit, and testified and said, Verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter, therefore beckoned to him that he should ask, who it should be of whom he spake. Kind of sounds like a couple of teenagers trying to figure out if somebody likes me or not. Psst, hey, ask him. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it type of food. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, Thou that thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. 
For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that were we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. This really won't make sense right now, but by the end, I think it will. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject. There's fish on the fire. There's fish on the fire. Father, I thank you for your wonderful presence that we have sensed in this place this morning. I thank you, God, that in a midst in a world that's in chaos and confusion and turmoil, there is a place we can go to connect with you because you are the Prince of Peace. You are the God that never changes. I thank you for this privilege this morning of being in your presence. I thank you, God, that you have already touched people, hearts, and lives in this place this morning. I believe you've already answered prayers here today. But God, I pray now that through your word you would minister to somebody's heart today. God, we do not need a sermon this morning to simply fill time in this service, but someone needs to hear a message that they could recognize comes from you, Lord. So I trust you for that this morning. I trust in you, trust in you for your anointing today, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Matthew, in his account of this story, says that every one of the disciples began to ask, is it I? Mark says that one by one, they began to ask, is it I? There's a couple of things I want to draw out from this passage as the foundation of this message this morning. If you know much about the Bible, if you know much about the life of Jesus, you have some degree of familiarity with this story. The significance of what's taking place and what it's about to lead to. and Things that must happen for the fulfillment of why Jesus came and walked on this earth. And so here he's gathered together. He's not in a crowd. He's not just in one of the multitudes. It's not just any gathering of people, but he's gathered together with his disciples, his 12 disciples, the the ones that have been most dedicated and committed to him, the ones who have adhered the most to his teachings and what he had come for. And it is to this group, it's not in the multitude of all kinds of people, strangers, that he says, somebody here is going to betray me. You could have kind of expected that. You could have, you could have expected that in a crowd of people there was somebody disgruntled that would be the one to betray him. But this was, this was his own dedicated, committed followers to which he says there is someone here that will betray me. One of the things I want you to notice is 11 had no clue who it was. 11 had no idea who it was. Obvious because 
as two of the Gospels say, every one of them began to say, is it me? It's amazing to me, I've been preaching since I was 18 years old, and it's amazing to me, oftentimes when you come with a message trusting that it's from God, and you have some degree of a feeling of who it may be for, how many times it's people you think the message is so far away from that are the first ones to respond. It's people that as best you know, are dedicated and committed and doing their best to, to, to have a relationship with God and walk with God. If you preach about eternity and hell, they're the first ones in the altar. And those that are living on the edge sit there and just kind of blankly stare at you. It's kind of what I think took place here. Jesus said, somebody here is going to betray me and Something in their sincerity rose up. Is it me? Maybe they were saying, is there something about me that I haven't seen that I don't know? And am I the one? But there was one that knew. <laughs> I'm the one. But they didn't know. Can I, can I pause for a moment to challenge the church today? that that ought to be the same response that we have. It appears as though their first response was not to point out the guilty party. Well, let me see. Somebody here is going to betray him. Maybe it's him. You know, I've been kind of watching him lately, and he's acting a little bit funny. He's probably the one. Their reaction was, is it me? Is it me, would to God, that when anyone stands behind this pulpit to preach a message of conviction, that rather than us sitting here and looking around and going, I wonder who the preacher's preaching to today, that something would respond within us and say, God, if you're talking to me, I'm listening, and if there's something about me that I need to hear, I want you to help me to hear it, because the scripture says, I don't even know my own heart. I may think I know me. I may think I know what I'm all about. But there could very well be something down inside of me that I don't know it's there. I think that's why the psalmist prayed a prayer several different ways. But the gist of it was, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. I, I want you to dig around inside of me, God, and see. Surely I'm not the only one today that has had moments in life where certain circumstances has caused something to rise to the surface in you that you go, whoa, I had no idea that was there. Maybe that was their response. Maybe that's why they responded that way. Could it be there's something I don't know? Can I say it to you like this? And I mean this as odd as it may sound in a very positive way. Apparently, Judas was able to hide. And, and, Come back next week, not next week because I'm not preaching next week. Come back the following week and I'll probably preach the other side of the coin. 
But for today, in the context of this, let me say, I hope that we are a place where people can hide. Hallelujah. Thank you, brethren. I appreciate that because I didn't get no help out here on that one. I hope we are a place that is not about pointing and exposing. We're going to stand for what we believe. We're not changing what we believe the Word of God says. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about that. But a place where rather than finding who can we point fingers out and who can we expose as being somebody that's a traitor amongst us, a place where sin has a chance for God to deal with it and not us to prematurely deal with it. So that's the fourth point, but really the focus today that I want to get to is Jesus. I want you to, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to go back through what we have read and think about the way he handled this situation. He knew who it was. He knew who it was. He was not prodding, prompting to try to figure out. He knew, in fact, I believe from the moment he called Judas to be one of his disciples, he knew. He wasn't doing this to expose and uncover something he didn't know. He knew. But do you see the way he went about it? He did not simply say, we got a problem, guys. We got an issue here today, and it's him. He's the one. That's not the way he handled it. Somebody, somebody here is going to betray me. I, I just, I know we, we, it's, it's, forgive me for using my imagination for a moment, but I can just sort of picture Jesus in this moment with a heavy heart, not a heavy heart because of, because of being betrayed, but a heavy heart out of compassion for the one betraying, saying, there, there's somebody here that's going to betray me. There's somebody here that's in the process of, of selling me out. But notice this entire scene, one thing after the other, where there's no anger on Jesus' part. There's no yelling and screaming, get out of here, you dirty, rotten traitor. In fact, even the way in which it was revealed to everybody else who, in fact, was the one was really a very intimate, if you will, process, sharing of a meal, sharing of this moment with each other, and Judas is revealed to be the one. As a response to the instructions, he goes, he leaves to go do what it is he was going to do. 
to go to Matthew chapter 26, verse number 47. Jesus and the others are now in the garden of Gethsemane. He knows. They, the rest of them still haven't gotten quite what's going on yet. They're, they're still kind of missing what's happening. I, I think they recognize there's something going on, but I don't think they really understand. And we, we get that because of Peter's reaction. Because Judas comes with a group to take him away and Peter draws a sword and he's ready to fight and he takes a swing and cuts off the ear of one of the men and Jesus reaches down and picks it up and puts it back on his head and heals him in that moment and tells Peter to put away the sword. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came. And with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Now, I want you to see Jesus' response. And Jesus said unto him, and Jesus said unto him, now I know it's on the screen and you've seen it, but you can still use your imagination for a moment. This is the one that he knew was betraying him. This, he knew what he had come to do. He knew what lied ahead. Think of all of the things he could have called him in this moment. Oh, Jesus. Think of all the things he could have called them or said to him in this moment. Could have said unto him, traitor. All kinds of names he could have said, but he responds and says, friend. Wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Friend. I know what you're doing, Judas. I know what you've done. I I know what you're doing. I know what I'm about to have to go through because of what you've done. Yet he does not push him away and he does not, he does not uh, berate him. He doesn't call him all kinds of names. He, he looks at him and says, friend. It's obvious because of how they came. I think Judas was expecting something else. I think Judas expected some other kind of response from Jesus. But what he got was a compassionate reaction. I know why you're here. I I know what this is doing. And if I have a right to be upset and angry with anybody, I have a right to be angry with you as a traitor. You weren't just anybody. You you weren't just in a crowd, but you were a follower, a close follower. I I trusted you enough to give you the money and carry the money and be the, the treasurer for all of us. I had confidence and you sold me out. And yet he says, 
friend. 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 I preach to some people today. Some more in a calculated, conscious way. Others more by the mistakes and misfortunes of life. You've betrayed him. You've betrayed him. But I've come to tell you, if you would listen to what he says this morning, he's not judge and jury, but he's friend. He's friend. He looks at me in my moments of weakness and failure and sometimes in the biggest mistakes I've ever made and with love and compassion says, friend. Friend, really? We, get, we have people do less to us than that. And we go on a social media campaign to expose how horrible they are. If anybody had a right to be unkind and harsh to somebody, Jesus had a right and yet he says, friend. Peter was there in the midst of all of this. He was there in that room sharing that meal when Jesus said, somebody here is going to betray me. Someone here is going to, to sell me out. Peter was there. In fact, it was just before that, if I remember correctly, where Jesus had said to Peter, you're going to deny me. You are going to deny me. And old Peter rises up and says, not me, Lord. Anybody but me. I, I'm gonna, I'll be with you till the death. I will fight with you till the end. Jesus said before the cock crows three times, you will have denied me three times. And he did. In one of the most critical moments, anybody, you don't have to raise your hand. In fact, don't raise your hand. Anybody ever been through something and in the moment you felt like in your life you needed those closest to you more than ever? They weren't there. Or at least it felt like they weren't there. If I ever needed you, I needed you now. If I ever needed your support, it was now. And I think this was one of those moments Jesus is brought before his judges and those that would be a part of the process that was going to lead him to the cross. If there was a moment in which Peter should have said, I'm not going to deny you and I'll fight, it should have been that moment. And yet in that moment, the scripture says that he had followed from afar. 
He, he didn't just go his own way and abandon Jesus, but he followed from afar. My, my, my take on that is this. Peter followed from a distance so that he could see how things went. And if everything went good, if all of a sudden angels came down from heaven to rescue Jesus, I just think Peter would have just slid up on in there. And after the fact, he could have said, I was there the whole time. I was right there with him. However, he was also far enough that when it didn't go well, he could just slide back a little bit more. Blend into the crowd. And somebody says, I recognize you. I know who you are. Mark 16 and 1, when the Sabbath was was passed, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Get back there in a second. I'll finish. Oh, I don't know him. I don't know who he is. I don't know. I don't know anything about. Yes, you do. Can you imagine how it felt when all of a sudden Peter hears that sound? Of that rooster crowing in the distance. I, I can almost imagine, imagine him, even if he didn't do it physically, that inside he felt the blow and perhaps there was a little bit of a bending over as he realized, I did it. I did what he said I was going to do that I said I wouldn't do. I don't know what the next few hours and days were like for him, but I would imagine there was a lot of condemnation and guilt and regret. If I could just go back and do it over. If I could just rewind the clock and have another chance. If I, if I could just have one more opportunity to, to do it different, I would do it different. Anybody besides me ever tried to find the rewind button on life? If I could just, 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 just go back a couple of days, sometimes it's, man, if I could just go back a couple of seconds, forget the days and weeks and months and just, just give me a couple of seconds to, I'd say something different. I'd react in a different way. I wouldn't say something. I wouldn't react. I'd just let it go. Wonder how many times it replayed in his mind. And I think it's pretty safe to say that something settled into Peter's heart and mind that says, I'm done. I'm done. I think he probably recounted that moment in which Jesus looked at him and said, Thou art Peter, and I give you the keys of the kingdom. Some of the other moments and some of the other things they had been through that had given him a hope for a future, now feeling like it's all gone. I've lost it. I'll never get it back. Now to Mark 16 and verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought 
sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. I wish I'd have had some King James English when my kids were young, walking. Be not affrighted, it's okay. Let's just put it today. Don't be scared. (laughs) You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Now he tells them what to do. Go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you, there shall you see him as he said unto you. I want you to understand when he said, go tell his disciples and Peter. He was not saying that to separate Peter to say the disciples and that other guy. The purpose of what he was saying was, if you don't make sure Peter knows, Peter has now discounted himself to say, I can't be one anymore. I've messed up too bad. I've blown it too bad. So if they would have gone and said, Jesus, or the angel said, come and see where he was. Disciples, come and see. I think Peter would have stood back and said, I'll see you later because I'm not one of them. But he said, when you go tell the disciples, I want you to make sure Peter knows that I have not changed my opinion. I have not changed anything I said. And so you tell the disciples and Peter. Barnes commentary says it this, the meaning is tell his disciples and especially, oh hallelujah, and especially Peter, oh Jesus, it's real good right here, I don't know how good it is right there, tell the disciples and especially Peter, because I want to make sure that he knows. I know he denied me. I know he betrayed me. I know he did some things that he should not have done. But I got to get the message across to Peter that my feelings are the same today as they were then. Because in fact, the day I gave him the keys to the kingdom, I knew everything that was going to come in the future. And I gave him anyway. So I want you... To make sure Peter knows, come to the sepulcher. Oh, hallelujah. I just kind of hear the voice of the Lord today saying, you tell them this morning and especially. 
Make sure this person knows and make sure that person knows and make sure this person gets the message. Yeah, I'm preaching to everybody, but I'm preaching to you this morning. I'm talking to everybody, but there's also some individuals that if you would just listen, you could hear God. You could feel God saying, I'm drawing, but I'm not just drawing a crowd. I'm reaching for you as an individual because in spite of what you've done, I feel the same. I think at any moment, I think at any moment, after everything he'd done, I think if at any moment Judas would have went back to Jesus and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what got a hold of me. I just said this to somebody a couple of weeks ago at the end of a service. It was in the altar. Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, Almost every verse, almost every verse, it's like only, I think, less than five verses. That in that, that in a verse, there is not some kind of direct reference to the Word of God. Sometimes it's referred to as the Word, but in other places it's things like commandments and precepts and judgments and testimonies and on and on. In almost every verse, there is one of those words referring to the Word of God. And so for 175 verses, the psalmist talks about and declares the importance, the significance, the greatness of the Word of God. You know, when you get to the end of something like that, you expect that let's put the exclamation mark, right? I mean, after all of this, let's, let's put the grand finale on it. Would you, would you put that verse up, 119 and after all of that, he says, I have gone astray. Say what? 175 verses, almost every verse you've been telling about how great, how wonderful, how good, how important, how significant the Word of God is. And now you get to the very end and after all of that you say, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, because I do not forget your commandments. I preach to some people today that this verse summarizes you. Like a wandering sheep. You have gone astray, not pre-calculated, not premeditated, not out of rebellion, not out of 
stubbornness. But life and circumstances have caused you to wander. But just like the psalmist said, so you can say, I have not forgot your commandments. I wonder if what Jesus did with Peter was a fulfillment of this verse. You shouldn't have done what you did, Peter. You shouldn't have denied me in that moment of trial. You should have stood by me. But I, I've looked deeper. I've said this numerous times now in different settings, but at, the, at our general conference for the organization we're a part of in a minister session, there was a statement made that just has absolutely stuck in my mind. I don't have time to give all of the context of it. But the statement that was made was, there are unacceptable behaviors that are understandable behaviors. There are unacceptable behaviors that are understandable behaviors. I don't know if you know this or not. If you don't, one of the most reassuring things to know is that God looks beyond just my actions. Oh, I know actions speak louder than words, and I know the Scripture teaches us out of the abundance of the heart. I know all of that stuff. I believe all of that stuff. But what I also know is that God looks deeper than just my actions. And there are some times that what I've done is unacceptable, but God looks at what caused. There's a difference between things that are caused strictly out of rebellion and disobedience versus things that happen as a result of my weakness. And in a moment of weakness, in a moment of hurt and pain, I find myself making choices that were not the choices I really wanted to make, but I was just overwhelmed. I think that's what the Lord recognized with Peter. I know what you did, Peter, but I think you really did mean you would fight with me till the death. I I think you were sincere when you said you'd go all the way, but you just didn't understand some of the challenges that lied ahead. But I want you to know that in spite of all of that, I haven't changed my perception about you. John chapter 21. It's now after his resurrection. It's now after he's revealed. In fact, the chapter before, he shows himself to Thomas. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias and on this wise showed himself. They were together, Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. I think they were still a little bit reeling from what had gone on. I think they were still overwhelmed by some of the emotions of what had taken place. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster that they had ridden for several days? He dies, he's resurrected. We spent three days grieving. Perhaps in their heart of hearts, they believed that he would rise again, but in their humanity, they were struggling. 
This is the one we believed in. This is the one we trusted. This is the one we put our hopes in. And now he's gone. It's obvious by, by their first reaction to coming to that empty sepulcher that in spite of what they had heard, their humanity was overwhelming their faith because their first reaction was, who stole the body? You would have thought they would have had a little, little, little praise break. When they walked up and saw the stone rolled around, you'd think Mary would have had a little praise break. No. Who stole him? Where is he? Somebody's taken him. So I think even though they now know he's risen and they've been through all of that, there's still some uncertainty because verse 3 says they go back to what they're used to. They go back to their comfort zone. Simon Peter said, I go fishing. All this stuff that's been going on is rocking my world. There's one thing I know. There's one place I can find some comfort. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I've done all of my life. I'm going back to what can give me a little bit of stability. I just am not quite handling this well. And they said, hey, if you're going, we're going too. They entered a ship immediately and that night they caught nothing. Can you imagine that now? We're going to go do what we're comfortable doing. We're going to go what we, what we know how to do. And they go to do that. And that doesn't even work. All night long. Some of you, oh, Jesus. Some of you have tried so hard to go back to what you're comfortable with. Some of you tried to go back to what you knew and what you could control and what you were used to. And God is looking down saying, I'm sorry, I know everything's in turmoil. I know everything's in upheaval. But I'm not even going to let what used to work work anymore. You're going to go back to something for some comfort and some assurance. But I'm not even going to let that work anymore because Somehow I got to get the message across to you. You're trying to give up. And as much as you want to give up, I'm not going to let you give up. Oh, I'm glad he's more stubborn about me giving up than I am. I'm done, God. Forget it. I'm finished. I don't want it. No, sorry. Sorry. Not gonna happen, not gonna, not gonna force you to do anything. I'm just gonna, you know, I, I, you, you, as parents, you learn how to get your kids to do stuff they don't want to do. They're, they're not, they're not, you, you know, you're not controlling them, but you, you can, you can get what you want. You know, God has a way. When Jesus, when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Listen to this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to quit. I haven't preached in a couple of weeks, so I'm trying not to get it all, all on you this morning. When the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Those that you know most closely... You can see them from a distance. 
And without seeing their face, you recognize their features. You recognize the way they walk. I've been given a hard time since my teen years for the way that I apparently walk. I'm going to change the way I walk now. And I've had people say, I, I looked, I knew that was you. By the way you walk. Surely they could have seen Jesus walking. And they would have recognized. I don't know how far they were from the shore, but they were close enough to the shore. They saw someone. Surely there were some mannerisms that he had that they had gotten to know in three years of following him. And yet the Bible says of all of them, they did not know it was Jesus. Can I tell some of you today, you can reach a point in time, you can reach a point in your life where you become so weighted down and overwhelmed with life that the one you used to recognize, you used to know who he was, you could see him from a distance and say, I know who that is. You can't tell who he is anymore. There's one place where it says there was a couple of disciples that were on the road with Jesus after his death. Disciples, not crowd, not multitude, disciples. That means they had been around him. And they were walking and talking with him. And in walking and talking with them, neither one of them recognized who we're talking to. Why? Because they had begotten, they had gotten so overwhelmed and burdened down with the circumstances. I know there's a lot of you here today that know what the presence of God feels like, but I think some of you in the midst of your circumstances and situations have failed to realize, wait a minute. In the midst of everything that's going on, all the turmoil and confusion and chaos in my life, there's something familiar in all of this. They didn't recognize him. But finally, he says, cast down your nets. You know what's interesting? They didn't recognize who they saw. But when they heard the voice, (laughs) that voice clicked. And Peter says, I know That voice. The Bible says he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore. And when he gets there, verse 9 says, when they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon. And bread. He shows up in the midst of their discouragement, disillusionment, struggle. And rather than waiting with judgment and criticism, he gets some coals together. Where did he get those fish? Where'd that bread come from? He didn't wait for them to bring the fish in they caught. 
He came prepared with fish and bread, and there was a fire. What he was saying to them was, I know what you're going through. I know the struggles you've been dealing with. But I want to show you. I haven't changed. I want to show you by the effort I've gone through that rather than waiting to scold and punish you, I'm actually waiting to restore you. Garrett, most of the time it ended the way I expected it to end. Every now and then. You knew you were in trouble as a kid. There's nothing worse than your parents. You know, they know. They know, you know they know. And they say nothing. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And then you start to relax a little bit, and maybe... Maybe they forgot. (laughs) I can remember a couple times as a kid, I'd do something, and then those words, when we get home, God, please bless my dad with a few hours of amnesia. Please let him forget. I think that's what they expected was coming. Rather than that, he decided, I just want to show you that no matter what you've done, no matter the mistakes, no matter the struggles, no matter the the wanderings you have had, I still feel the same way I feel. I still care the same way I cared. That prodigal recognized in the midst of the pig pen when he was about to eat the same stuff the pigs were eating. My servants are better off in my father's house than I am here. So I'm going to go home and just ask if he will hire me. Let me be a servant. We all, when we make mistakes, come up with our expectations of God's reaction. We all develop in our own minds what we think he's going to do if we try to return. Most of the time, what we imagine is not good. Most of the time, what we think is going to happen is rejection. And yet, if you will ever press past that, what you will find is that he always waits with open arms. Would you close your eyes, if you would, please bow your heads. I I believe there's some folks here today, if I could use it in a figurative way, 
that there's a fire with some fish and some bread that has been prepared for you. He's not waiting to punish. He's not waiting to scold. He's not waiting to rebuke. He's not waiting to judge. But in fact, he's waiting to try to restore. No matter the level of your apprehension today, no matter how much the enemy has tried to convince you that the only thing God will do is reject you. I've come this morning to tell somebody that the same way with compassion Jesus handled and responded to Judas and the same way that Jesus responded to Peter and reached out to him is the exact same way that he is here today to reach out to you. I'd like to do this if I could again, if nothing else, just out of respect for those around you to try to give them a little more privacy, if you will. If you're here right now and you recognize, you feel like the Spirit of the Lord is talking to you today, I believe there's some folks in this place that you have put a little bit of distance between you and Jesus and you've convinced yourself that there's no way of getting back to where you were, getting as close to Him as you were. But I've come to tell you this morning, He waits with open arms. If that's you this morning, I'd like to invite you to step out of your seat to step down to this altar. And the reason I do that is because like Peter, you've got to, you got to make an approach to him. He, he prepares something for you, but I've got to take a step of faith to go to where he is. I've got to reach out to him. There, there's only so far that he goes, not, not because there's only so far he loves, not because there's only so much he's willing to do, but at some point I've got to respond to what it is he's trying to do. Perhaps there's somebody here today, maybe maybe to this point in your life, you've never really made any kind of commitment to Jesus Christ. You've, you've never really had a relationship with him before now. And maybe you sit this morning afraid, you know, preacher, I've just done too much wrong. I, I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up too many things. For God to ever love me. I've done too many things that are that can't be undone for God to really care about me. But I've come to tell you this morning. I, I don't care what it is you've done. I don't care what the mistakes you've made. In this place right now, there are open arms. Church, would you begin to help me right now? Would you, would you be sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord right now? I believe with all of my heart there's some people in this place today that this is a moment, this is a time in which God has destined to do something extremely significant in their life. I preach to some folks that you just, there's, there's just still a little bit of something 
nagging and gnawing at your inside that said, I, I just can't quite get back. I just can't quite get to where I was. Afraid that if I really do truly try to pursue Him with everything I've got, He's just going to reject me. If I really do decide to try to accept what He wants to give me, it's just going to be a trick. And before I actually can get what He's offering, He's just going to He's going to take it back. And it's just all going to be a big joke. But I tell you, this morning He waits. He waits with determination. He waits with love. He waits with compassion. He waits with patience. He waits with open arms. I believe that there is a spirit of restoration in this service this morning. I believe there's a spirit of restoration in this service right now. That there are some people in this place today that God wants to bring restoration in your life. God wants to bring some healing and some wholeness to some things in your life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If you're not comfortable getting up and coming to this altar, you can reach out for Him right where you are. You can open up and reach out for Him right where you are. And by you reaching out, He's going to reach back to you. In the name of Jesus. Come on, church, please. I know some of you are responding, but please be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. I believe there are some very significant things God is trying to do today. I believe there's some very momentous things God wants to do in some lives this morning. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Peter didn't have to undo what he had done wrong. Peter didn't have to go back and redo everything and make it right. If Judas would have simply acknowledged his failures and mistakes and repented, he wouldn't have to have gone back and undone it all. There was mercy and grace. There was forgiveness that was being offered. There was renewing and restoration that was being given. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes. Somebody, if you listen right now, it may not be very loud. It's not a yell, it's not a scream, but it's the gentle call of the voice of a Savior. It's the gentle call of the voice of compassion, drawing, tugging, pulling on your heart. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, just as you are, just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. 
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you for your unfailing compassion. Thank you for grace and mercy that is sufficient. Thank you for grace and mercy that there is more than enough. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, strength. There's strength for somebody today. There's strength for somebody today. Whatever the circumstances and situations you're dealing with, there's strength for somebody in this place today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Strength for today. Taste the living water. Oh, and never thirst again. Come just as you are. The Spirit call Come just as you are Come and see See Oh, thank you, Lord Just as you are, oh, hear the Spirit call. Oh, come just as you are, come see. Oh, yes, Lord.
resting Oh, strength for today to go or you want to go, please feel free to do so. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus.